0: visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only.
1: Everybody that was coming in, they had all these ideas and I'm like, look, I I, I didn't get here by reinventing the wheel. I took one thing that worked and I did it. The problem is people, they don't stick with stuff for long enough because in marketing, everything's about consistency.
2: If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Jim Huntzinger. How you doing, Jim?
1: Great, Joe. How you doing, man? Thanks for having me on.
2: I am grateful to have you on, and looking forward to our conversation. A little bit about Jim. He started a real estate business in 2005. He's done over 500 deals, focused on flipping for the first seven years. And in fact, 95 percent of those 500 deals are rehabs, based in Chicago, Illinois. With that being said, Jim, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus?
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you. I started the business, like you said, 2005. The last couple of years, I started to build, like you know, well, this is. When I started, I started to build a rental portfolio and long story short, it was one at a time and one at a time. And, and like a lot of your listeners, I'm sure multifamily is just more appealing because I could buy a hundred at once. So, but I didn't know enough about it. So I started studying it in 2013, just everything about the deals, insides, outsides, how they're financed, how they work, every aspect of it. So when I finally went into it, I felt comfortable that I knew enough. So a couple of years ago, I started getting into it and you've know, done very well. I've been here to talk about it, deal with a ridiculous profit on it. But at the end of the day, what I also realized is that I can't grow without partners. And so I'm also here to meet local partners around the country that have deals. Maybe they don't know how to fund or don't know how to take down and are scared to. So that's me in a nutshell. So I started focusing exclusively on multifamily a couple of years ago because I wanted to grow my rental portfolio as fast as possible. I'd like to have 5,000 units by 2030.
2: How many do you have now?
1: Just under 500.
2: Wow. All right. Well, let's talk about that. But before we do, as a segue, what type of deals are you buying now?
1: Multifamily value add mostly. Distressed. I'm looking at one right now in Oklahoma where I own a couple others. It's a huge project. We buy it for around a million, a little less, and it probably needs 3 million in renovation. Mm-hmm. It's a huge, huge project. But uh, there's hundred-
2: How many units is that?
1: 172.
2: Okay, cool.
1: It's a big property, big project. Definitely not a beginner project but there's a huge opportunity there.
2: Okay. So you're buying a hundred plus apartment communities that are distressed where you can add value. Yes, exactly. All right. Then the question is pretty relevant that I was going to ask. What are some things that you learned flipping a lot of properties that you're applying to what you're doing now?
1: It's funny that the bigger deals you get into them, because I don't have to do as many deals anymore. It's not a lot more of my time. It's really the same amount of time as I was putting into all those other deals. So now I just don't have to do as many. So that's giving me some time. But like the bumps that are in there, just there's so many in commercial that I had to go through as far as how to buy them. And it's buyer beware on these things, as you know, Joe. You really have to really know your stuff, which is why I was studying it so much early on. First deal I did, we had a a first buyer, cash buyer, proof of funds, backed out. Well, the Monday of the closing was a flip. We were supposed to own it for three months. The Monday of the closing, there was supposed to be a Friday closing on Monday. They called and asked for a 30-day financing extension. This was a cash deal. So we said, okay, we'll give you the 30-day extension, but we need 40000 more in earnest money, which they wouldn't give. So, of course, we killed the deal and moved on. And now they end up being attorneys, and they sued somehow. They didn't sue, actually. They scared the title company into giving them their deposit back, which they were not entitled to because they didn't perform, but because they were attorneys, the title company wouldn't release it. So they ended up filing a lien on the property.
2: Oh my God. Uh, it was
1: because they were scaring everybody and they, they knew the ins and the outs of this, you know, oh, and so. That's
2: disgusting.
1: It is. We couldn't sell it. So we had it resold. So we had no intention of giving the money back, but we ended up doing it just to get the other deal closed. Now we, we made a million sixty on it. So it's not like we got hurt giving them their deposit back, but they weren't entitled to it. But still, that's the kind of stuff that comes up in these deals. It's like, you know, this is, it's feast or famine. Like this is very different than residential deals in that there's a lot of sharks in this world. Mm-hmm.
2: You made a million sixty on it. Well, there you go. Nice job on that. Tell us the units and just give us the business plan, what you did.
1: Well, it was a quick flip. We, I had it sold. It was a 91 unit on four acres in Oklahoma. I had like 12 buildings two you know, all two story buildings. And bought It, for it was forty percent occupied, literally like slumlord type situation. The guy just putting zero money into it. In fact, the lease actually said that you're getting a discounted, reduced rent because you're expected to do your own repairs and pay for your own repairs. Couldn't that's the
2: first? I, I couldn't
1: believe man. it, man. I could send it to you after. I I could not believe that it said that. So of course, we had to clean up. All of the tenants were even in there because we told them all, we'll start fixing everything. That's not on you, but it was a mess. And so we had sold before. We even closed on initially to the guys who ended up screwing us. And then the second buyer we found pretty quickly was supposed to close. This is all 2017. So this deal was bought in July, supposed to close in October. They backed out in October. So we found a new buyer right away because it was a good deal. That guy turned out to be what I I still don't know 100% if it was a syndication or not, but they lost 200 grand on it. It was hard money. We actually gave him extra time at the end because I just felt bad because I said, all right, you have two or three months. Like If you can't get the financing, we're out and we're keeping your money because this asset is losing money. He couldn't perform. So we ended up keeping 200 grand on that. Another, there was some upside in that because it wasn't losing that much. But we ended up owning it for 19 months. It was a three-month flip. They backed out the attorney, screwed us. Second buyer, which I believe I said like a syndication, which syndications aren't something I do. All the stuff I fund is with just me and, and there's I'll usually bringing in one sponsor. Syndications are just something I'm not, I'm not personally comfortable with. So the third buyer, which that buyer, we had a couple buyers at the end, that buyer literally walked into our door Walked in, met the property manager that we had on site, and said, "Hey, I'm looking to buy stuff in this area." He literally came off the street because he heard we might be selling it. Huh? That's how we sold that one. So, we bought it for a dollars We sold it for two point three, and with all things said and done, the profit was just over a million bucks.
2: Well, there you go. When was that? That just
1: closed. We bought it in July of seventeen. It just closed this year. The three month flip that took nineteen months closed a few months ago, March. <laughs> so when I say there's bumps at the beginning or bumps in the process anyway, you have no idea, right? Because like, how yeah. could you, you couldn't even plan. We had it sold. You know, it's easy. And when you're flipping a $30,000 house or a $130,000 house, that's no big deal. But When you're flipping a 1.2 with a 10% nut on it, it's not easy there. So it was stressful in that what's going on here. We thought like these guys they will keep their money. And then they put a lien on it. It was all this stuff that came up and it's just like, man, there's nothing you can do to study the stuff that you're going to end up going through. You can learn the cap rates and how to refinance some non-recourse loans in the back end and all this other great stuff. But shady attorneys screwing you, scaring the title company into not giving the, the deposit to anybody. They literally wouldn't give it to anybody. We had to signed off on it so we could close because they had a lien on it. But we're talking about going back and suing the guy for that only because it was so wrong. It was a cash deal, proof of funds. The Monday before the closing on Friday, they asked for a financing extension, which we were willing to grant, and they wouldn't pay us extra money for it. So they probably had no intention or didn't know if they could close at that point. So anyway, um, uh, I where I was going with that.
2: You're going to court is where you're going with that. Oh, yeah. So we, yeah, so we
1: were, we were, yeah, right. We are going to court and then we just signed off on it and gave them their money back because we were going to close. We thought we were closing at the end of December, by the way, 2017, that was the original second closing date. And then we gave the guy till March and then it took us until June and we were talking to a couple other buyers. So we we're really strongly vetting the buyers now, right? Cause the first two just didn't work out yeah. and it's only 40% occupied. The loans are not easy in that world it's very distressed, a million one to a million three. And it was hard to get financed. So that, that turns out, that's why we were we strong. We took a few months to find the third buyer because the first one we thought, okay, great. Second one we thought was great. They gave us a bunch of earnest money, which they lost. That's, I mean, which is terrible for them. But the third one, we should, we took a couple months. We didn't just take, because we had plenty of buyers lined up, but we were no longer concerned about the buyer themselves as much as, well, their history and their, their financing because we realized that this deal was not going to be very easy to get financed. Plus, Oklahoma has some crazy weather. So guys were coming from out of state and they are not familiar with the insurance in Oklahoma, which is exorbitant. This is the way my insurance guy told me to wrap my head around it so I didn't go nuts. Is you're financing your siding and your roofs because within 10 to 12 years they will absolutely get replaced because of storm damage. That's how bad the hail and the wind is out there.
2: What exactly were you looking at after you got bamboozled by the first potential buyer? What were you looking at to qualify? You said history and financing, but what specifically were you looking for?
1: Well, I wanted to know if they had done any kind of deals with less than 50% occupants. What I was looking for is had you bought a property with low occupancy that needed 50% of what you're going to pay for it in CapEx. So I was looking at that. And, and then if they if met that qualification, I'm like, all right, how are you planning to finance this? And I had no interest in syndication because I'm pretty sure the one that lost a 200, that's what it was. Again, I don't know that for sure because they didn't present that to us, but I, I'm pretty sure it was a, some sort of syndication. So I was just looking for, obviously, ideally we wanted cash because that was really a, or a private investor who was not a bank or a typical lender. And so we ended up finding somebody with that who changed to a bridge loan in the end, but it worked out just fine. We didn't close. It took us about an extra two weeks to close. But he put up an additional 60,000 hard earnest money immediately because he realized that's screwing us. And so he had already had a 50 up. So, you know, if he didn't close, he was going to lose 110. Mm. And it worked out, you know, it worked out. But that's the thing is we just really strongly were looking at the buyers.
2: How'd you find that property?
1: That particular property, I met somebody that just randomly, I was at a mastermind and somebody randomly set up my table. I was at lunch by myself, which I typically do because I was catching up at a mastermind emails, calls, whatever. And somebody up my a group of people came in, somebody sat at my table, got to talking, they had this deal, got to talking about it. Long story short, I'm in it. They didn't know how to do the deal. They didn't know how to close the deal. They we weren't really even sure if they had a deal. Yeah, Once I saw what they had, I went out there and checked it out. The next week, it was a deal. We locked it up. And so yeah, I literally, somebody that by chance sat at my table at a mastermind. That's how I split my portion of a million 60.
2: And in, in that scenario, how do you structure it with that person? There was two partners that had the deal.
1: They didn't know how to do the deal. So I brought myself into it and I said, hey, because of this thing is 40% occupancy and it's not going to be easy to get get a loan on it, if we even can, I said, we're going to bring in a sponsor as another 25% partner just to put up the money for this. Because the deal is so fat, I can get somebody to do that with no problem. And so that's what we did. It was was that million sixty got split four ways between the two people that brought it to me and then a financial partner and myself. By the way, I did that deal with zero of my own money in the deal
2: is just attending the mastermind and then going to visit and figure out the opportunity and then put the right people in place. Yeah. And I had
1: some lenders that I knew would be game, you know, it's not, not lenders, private people, you know, private money guys that I knew would be game to partner on. I'd already been setting that up for years and years. So I have people for all these deals that are wanting to come in and you know, they're, they're, they're strong, strong financially. So this is, you know, and I'm buying these things with, with literally none of my own money because I'm bringing in financial partners to put the down payment and they're part of the deal, but they're just the financial end of it. But it, it, it gives me the ability to do a lot more deals.
2: Based on your experience as a real estate investor, what's your best real estate investing advice ever?
1: The best real estate investing advice ever is don't reinvent the wheel. There's so many things that work out there. You just have to focus on one. When I, I used to coach, like way back when, 2011, I coached like, a national rehab type company, you know, and so um, the everybody that was coming in, they had all these ideas, and I'm like, look, I, I I didn't get here by reinventing the wheel. I took one thing that worked and I did it. The problem is people they don't stick with stuff for long enough because in marketing everything's about consistency so if you send out one mailer and like oh that was expensive it didn't work that well well you got to be consistent about you know you have to stick with one. we know direct mail works we know cold calling works we know all this stuff we know it works but people are are, are, just don't stick with it long enough and they don't do it consistently enough to have a good effect and so that's all i would share with people just stick with something you know that is working one thing get really good at that and then add another marketing strategy in Mm -hmm. because we all know all these marketing strategies that work but they just don't and that there was a big was glaring to me of all the people I talked to when I coached, they were giving up too quickly unknown time-tested strategies that we all, all the people that are doing it, they work for us. So they can work for you too. You're just not giving it the time or we're not putting in the right effort.
2: You have around 500 doors now and you just sold a 172 unit. That's how, no, yeah. No, no, it was 91, 91 unit. Was 91 unit. Sorry. That was 91. You're looking at 172 unit currently, correct?
1: Yeah, that's the one that needs a bunch. Yeah, it needs a, you know. put it,
2: yeah you're buying it for a million, putting about three. But let's talk about some that are currently in your portfolio. What's the largest property currently in your portfolio? There are 105 units. All right. Let's talk about that. Where is it? It's in Oklahoma. Yep. Well, apart. Oklahoma City. OKC. Okay, All it's right. About so, 10 minutes from the airport. Tell us the numbers, the business plan, please.
1: That one was in a little bit better shape. Bought that for 2.2. It needs about a million two. So we'll be into it for 3.5, 105 units at 90% with an, with an eight cap. This, it will be worth uh, 6.7 million.
2: How'd you find it?
1: I'm in the Oklahoma market now because of that first deal. So I'm just talking to people in that market and, you know, networking and finding deals and it got brought to me.
2: And you say you're in the Oklahoma market, but you physically live in Chicago, right? Yep. That's correct. Yeah. No, okay. I, I,
1: don't, I don't work in Chicago anymore. That's where I did my rehab business for single yep. family. But when I set out to do multifamily, as many of you may know, and Joe, you may know that Chicago is the last place you really want to build a multifamily portfolio. The taxes in Cook County, where Chicago is and where my office is, I'm in the Burbs, but I'm still in Cook County, are outrageous. I'll give you a quick example. An office complex I was evaluating the other day, right down the street from my office, 64,000 square feet, purchase price 2.5 million. The current taxes on it are 262,000 a year. Huh. Wild. The commercial taxes are so outrageous in Cook County. It doesn't even make sense. And also the way I am, I'm, I'm an operator. I'm, a, I'm a, you know, an entrepreneur. I like doing deals and being in the deals. And if, if I was doing stuff here, I would be on site more often. And being outside of the States that I actually do business in now, it forces me to be more creative and get stuff done that I can't do because I'm not there. And it, it's been awesome for me and my business and my time at home. It's been fantastic. It was, it was a hard road because I worked, you know, for the first four or five years in the business, I worked every day, You know, before, especially before I had kids. So now I don't want to work as much anymore. I want to hang out with my kids more. And I was trying to figure out a way to work less, but still make as much, if not more, while I'm growing, because I'm an entrepreneur. I like being tested. I like creating things. I like building things. And multifamily is what I came into a few years ago after studying it for a few years. But that's how I got to it, just by wanting to free up my time. And if I did it here, I realized I couldn't because of taxes, but it's it's been like fantastic as far as forcing me to find people to do things. And even just pictures, you can, you can find people on Craigslist easily to take, go take pictures for me for 20 bucks right now, whatever I want. So if it was here, I'd probably just go drive by it. But that takes an hour of my time or more. And now I have my assistant put an ad up on Craigslist with the address. People send us pics within an hour usually. And I have, and I'm all at my office in Chicago. It's awesome.
2: How did you hire those team members? Well, my assistant's been with me for 10 plus years. Okay. So assistant found those team members probably?
1: Yeah, She finds whoever, yeah. The, okay. It's just on Craigslist. You literally just put a post on Craigslist for people to take pictures. Somebody People scan those things all the time that are photographers for real estate stuff, whatever, just looking for extra gigs, extra money. And I've never had an issue putting, I've done it probably, I don't know, 40 times where I needed pictures within a day. And for no more than 30 bucks, I had 20,
2: 25 pictures taken and sent to me using Craigslist. How did you pick Oklahoma City? You're not a short drive from it. So I'm curious about that.
1: Well, it's a short flight, but that deal was presented to me. And before I even, you know, was, the deal looked good, but I still needed to research that market because I didn't know it at all. So I just researched their, some of the rent laws and rent rules. And it's crazy. Stuff just makes sense there. People don't pay. The sheriff shows up in 15 days still. You know, like in Cook County, they can live in your house for six months for free if they know what they're doing. Because the rent laws are completely in the tenant's favor here. Where in Oklahoma, things just make sense. If they don't pay, you get out. That's it. It's simple. It, just like they don't have concealed carry in Oklahoma. You know what they have? They call it, they just passed it January 1st. It's called constitutional carry. <laughs> Anybody can carry a gun whenever they want because the constitution says you can. They just do some stuff that makes too much sense. Now like gun things not for everybody, but that's just, things just make sense out there, especially the, the tenant laws. And so that's why I'm out there and growing out there is because the tenant laws are really good.
2: Who do you use for management?
1: It depends on the asset, but if it's big enough, we have on-site management that work for us. We'll have outside management companies do it also. It just depends on the asset, how big it is, you know, what the situation is. If it's B class, we'll usually get a you know, management company in there uh, to run it seemingly seamlessly. And what I found in the stuff that's like C, where it might be a little rougher of a neighborhood, I like having a manager on-site there that actually works for us. It's more of a personal connection with the residents. We call them residents, not tenants, you know, but, but I found that works better. We have a better connection, a better connection to the tenants. And they feel like you know where it was a management company it's like you know just like a barrier between the owners where the employee is part of us and so we've just we've had it because we're you know, in these complexes, we're kicking people out, you know, and so you got to have the right person in that role to be able to, you know, and, and ours is a female who's a tough cookie. But in this particular property the 105 unit I'm talking about, because we had to kick out a lot of people, there's, you know, drug dealers and prostitutes, literally. And so we had to get them all out. And now everything's turning. Now we're getting the right people in there. And it's fantastic. But it, you know, I, I found that in that particular situation, especially during the cleanup portion, having one of our employees as the property manager is better. And so that's why I'm looking for 100 units or more, too, because generally that can support having a you know full-time, part-time property manager and a maintenance guy. So that's why like, you know, I'm looking for 100 units or more.
2: We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yeah, let's go. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end of the work week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com. Best ever way I can learn how to talk as fast as you.
1: (laughs) It's funny, you know, people just like, they meet me at... I'm much better in person because I do talk fast. It's just the way I'm wired, man. It's, it's crazy that people are always asking, what do I do for energy and how do I stay? And I, I do drink coffee in the morning, which always surprises people. I stop by 10 o'clock, but this is just something I was born with, man. You can't teach this. I can't, I can't show you how to get it. I have a ridiculous amount of energy. And that's why I probably became an entrepreneur. I know it's funny, but uh, that's the way I've always been. My dad, years and years ago, when I started in business, my father was like, you got to slow, you're know, got to slow down your speed. I'm like, Look, I, I, I do slow it down sometimes but when I'm talking about a raw. I'm like, you know, he's like, him, this is my father. Tell, you know, this is, you know, we're going back 15 years now. He's like, maybe you should start smoking pot again. Said, maybe that would slow you down. <laughs> it was what? funny, but he had some truth to that. That's just how you're born. I can't help you with that one, Joe.
2: Oh, that's all right. Because jokes on every best ever listener who has told me that I speak slowly so they have to listen to the podcast on a 2.0. Because they don't, they don't know what to do on this episode. Because if they 2.0, they're not going to hear you. Uh, it's so funny. I man. Man. <laughs> to hear my slow talking. So busted. What's the best ever book you've recently read?
1: The best ever book I've recently read. I'm going through it, but it's incredible. Is Tools of Titans from Tim Ferriss.
2: Yeah, it's on my desk right now.
1: Came out a couple of years ago, I think, and yeah, took me a while to get to it. I'm not a huge reader, but I just see so much value in it. I, I do read, but as you can imagine, with how fast I talk, my mind races, and so reading isn't always faster than normal. There's a podcast called Faster Than Normal, and when I found that I was like, "Oh my god, this is <laughs> I can relate to everything this guy says. So if you have like an ADHD type, you know, issues where you talk fast or your your your, your mind goes fast, that is an excellent podcast for that. It has nothing to do with real estate; it's just about other people that, that talk fast and, and have
2: ADHD. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction that we haven't talked about?
1: A mistake, I would say contractor. I've, I've made mistakes over the years that I shouldn't have made because I've done too many deals with contractors, giving them more trust than I should ever. But as the years went on here, it's why I stopped rehabbing houses single family a couple of years ago, is because the babysitting got so much worse because the market here is so busy. Everybody's got so much work. So it's just you know, giving them too much slack when I, sh- when I know better. That, that was, that's a, a mistake that I, I, I ran into when I should know better
2: best ever way you like to give back to the community?
1: I do charity stuff with my wife. My wife's a big member of a, a local women's group that we do a lot. You know, We give stuff to that. And I do lots with my kids and give money, you know, like ch- charities and things like that. So we are, we're always trying to help out. We go on walk, you know, like walks or jogs, like the, the kids from school. And so we try to get in the, with the community and do as much as we can locally in our area where we can make an impact on people that we live around.
2: How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing?
1: They can email me. I'm looking for partners locally, like if, you know, in your market, if you got you got deals that, that meet the criteria we've talked about here, you know, 100 units or more, and the numbers make sense on a value add, I'm looking for local partners to stay in the deal. I bring the financing to the table. We bring all our systems to the table. National contractors do the rehabbing. We You know, we really make it turnkey, but we like the local partner element where somebody that can be on the ground there daily if needed, stopping by the project to see what's going on. So I used to teach, I think that's why we originally met is I had a product called MLS Domination and I was selling that. It was going very well. And I I did a big interview series to kind of launch it. That's how we met, I believe. And it was going well. And I was getting to be more well-known and people would notice, you know, recognize me at masterminds. And the older I got, I like, I just, I didn't want to like, not that I want to meet less people because here I am on on a podcast, you know, trying to meet people for deals, which is great, but I just, I was getting kind of guru-ish status. And I don't like that. I didn't want to be known as a guru. So I just shut the whole thing down because I, was, I didn't think about that side effect. I, I created that product as a way to, to stay at home with my kids with more time, which it worked. But I also then uh, did not think about the side effect of getting to be more known. And I just didn't, I don't know, I guess I didn't put that together. And so I don't have a website anymore. I shut it all down. You can email me or call me. You can email me. My email is jim at com. It's jim at j i m. H-U-N-T-Z-I-C-K-E-R.com. Or you can call me, my phone number direct. If you have a deal, don't call me to say hi. You can email me to say hi if you'd like. But if you have a deal that you want to discuss right now, call me, let's discuss it. My phone number is 847-772-5302. I'll repeat it. It's 847-772-5302. That's my direct number. You're going to get me.
2: Loved hearing the case study of the 91 units and the challenges with the buyers backing out and then the other buyer's not working out and then finally the third and how he found that deal or how he purchased the deal, he just walked into your office and ended up putting it under contract and then also just your overall approach for how you're able to purchase these deals remotely, how you partner up, how you structure those partnerships, great stuff. So thanks again for being on the show, Jim. Hope you have the best ever day and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me, Joe. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end of the work week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com.